Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. This week, the Jewish people will celebrate the holiday of Passover, called Pesach in Hebrew, which commemorates the liberation of the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt more than 3,000 years ago. Families will sit around the traditional meal, known as the Seder. They'll read the traditional book, known as the Haggadah, and perform the rituals that are dis time-honored and meaningful. Families will gather and relatives and neighbors, even those who are disconnected and estranged during the year, will join in the ceremonies. The Haggadah itself mentions four sons, the wise son, the wicked son, the simple son, the son who does not know enough to ask questions. So the same thing is true today. It's estimated that more than 80% of the Israelis, ranging from ultra-Orthodox to agnostics and atheists come together in this family gathering. This year we're faced with the most critical period since the end of the Second World War and the fall of the Soviet Union. Russia has invaded Ukraine and is a growing threat to Europe. China is expanding in the Pacific and threatening Taiwan. The American administration is exhibiting weakness and indecision, and worst of all, as far as we're concerned, Iran is on a threshold of becoming a nuclear power and threatening to destroy Israel. This is further complicated by the fact that the Knesset and the governor of Israel are composed of small-minded and petty politicians who are more concerned with their own honor and their own privileges than the good of the nation. In the words of Thomas Paine, the prominent thinker and writer during the American Revolution, these are indeed times that try men's souls. However, people of Israel have always exhibited the faith and the courage to face and overcome the worst of difficulties, ranging from an economic to existential. With the help of the Almighty, we'll weather this storm and go on to even greater accomplishments. Chak Sameach, happy holiday from Jay Shapiro. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. 
I want to say a few words about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, a subject that doesn't want to go away, and particularly since there was an attack in downtown Tel Aviv last week in which three people were murdered in the heart of Tel Aviv. For a long time, Israelis have been believed that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was somehow under control. Maybe it was the lack of large-scale terror attacks originating from Palestinian areas like Gaza, or the, or could be the sense that the region was moving beyond the conflict because of the Abraham Accords and the increasing acceptance of the Jewish state in the Arab world and in the Muslim world. In recent months, there was barely a week without a high-level Israeli official traveling to the United Arab Emirates or Bahrain or Egypt or Jordan openly and with pictures taken with local leaders. It's become a common thing in the newspapers whether it was these increasingly warming ties or the seeming end of the, an organization like ISIS as a terrible terrorist sovereign, most Israelis saw the only tangible threat as emanating from Iran and from Iran's proxies. Nevertheless, the conflict of the Palestinians over 100 years old has once again caught us essentially unprepared. The warning signs had not gone away, but they were ignored. In case in point was the release of a new study conducted by the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research just before the new wave of terror attacks, which claimed the lives of 11 Israelis and injured others starting two weeks ago. According to the Palestinian Media Watch, when Palestinian respondents were asked about the most effective means of ending the Israeli occupation and building an independent state, 68% chose violence, 44% chose armed struggle, which means engagement in all-out terror similar to the that launched in 2005 by the Palestinian Authority, and 24% chose popular resistance, which is a euphemism that includes sporadic terror attacks like shootings and stabbings and car rammings. That's popular resistance. Actually, only 25% of the Palestinians chose the path of negotiations. In other words, while Israel was basking in the warm glow of regional Arab acceptance, Palestinian Arab violent rejectionism was just waiting to explode. Over two-thirds support the use of violence, and the images of celebrations and the handing out of sweets in Palestinian-controlled areas in Judea and Samaria and Gaza 
should serve as a wake-up call. So the question that many are now asking is what should be done about it. Some believe that Israel should ensure greater concessions to the Palestinians, but that has not worked in the past and merely incentivizes more attacks by the Palestinians. Some believe that mowing the grass, that is taking actions that would degrade the ability to attack for a certain period of time. It is about short deterrence and sending a message rather than delivering the kind of blow it cannot recover from. This has arguably been successful for those short-term tacticians who seek short periods of calm, but has certainly brought, not brought Israel and its people this long-term peace that we really want. This leaves a more radical but as yet untried strategy, which is now being suggested by some. It's called complete victory. The term victory has been prayed about quite a lot in recent years by top Israeli politicians, but never in the true and fullest sense of the term. Historically, wars are won when one side broke the will of the other side to keep on fighting and ensured it would not meet its war aims. In our conflict with the Palestinians, the theoretical equation is relatively simple. As the conflict began on the premise rejection of the Jewish people's rights to a sovereign state of their own, especially in their ancestral homeland, that is exactly how the, the, the conflict must end. We have seen in the countless rejections by successive Palestinian leaders they have rejected a generous peace proposal. So it's clearly not about land or about borders or settlements or about Jerusalem or about the so-called occupation. All these issues were placed on a negotiating table by Israeli leaders, but not signed by Palestinian leaders because that would have meant include an end of claims and an end of the conflict. When Mahmoud Abbas says he'll never recognize Israel's national character as a Jewish state, it is because for him that would be a betrayal of the root cause for his ongoing rejectionism. Abbas and his friends continue to perpetuate the belief that this conflict ends with a Palestinian victory meaning an end to Jewish sovereignty and an end to the Jewish state. This might seem unattainable to most Israelis, but regardless of our disbelief, it remains the cause that has driven violence and bloodshed for over a century. To end the conflict once and for all, Israel has to ensure that all Palestinian violent rejectionists including Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Fatah and ISIS, they all have to understand that their war aims will not be realized. They should give up, recognize the permanence of Israel as the national homeland of the Jewish people, and then negotiations can begin with reasonable Palestinians who really want peace, security, and prosperity for their own people.
Israel should do this by using all the tools necessary to break the terrorist will to continue fighting, whether military or economic or diplomatic or political, while remaining no less committed to humanitarian law and the rules of law. more. Only a real Israeli victory can bring an end to this ongoing conflict. When this current round of terrorism attacks concludes, and it will, the motivation to continue fighting will not end until the Palestinians are forced to end it. This win-lose conclusion to the Israel-Palestinian conflict could eventually lead to a win-win war for all the peoples of the region in order to finally put the war behind them and to join a widening circle of peace for the region because this region faces challenges and threats really, which really should unite us all, like the Iranian threat. For the sake of the future of Israelis and Palestinians, Israel must defeat the Palestinian extremists who are committed to perpetual conflict. And one of the major problems, something you never see or hear spoken about, is the education system in the Palestinian Authority. Children are taught from kindergarten even from pre-kindergarten, to hate the Jews and to believe that the Jewish state has no right to exist. Any kid, let's say, who started kindergarten 1994, we're talking uh, 26 years ago, any one of those kids who started then is now an adult not just an adult, but somebody in their late 20s, and all those being educated under the Palestinian Authority since 1994 are being raised, brainwashed from pre-kindergarten on that the Jewish state has no right to exist. Unless and until the Israelis realize that at the the bottom line, it is the Palestinian educational system that is the root cause, really the root cause of the problem. There never will be a solution to the so-called Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The conflict will always remain until something is done about the educational system under the Palestinian Authority. It is very rarely mentioned, but it is the basic cause of the problem. I'll be back after the break. Hi, 
I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. We're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to say something about the two faces of the Palestinian administration. The head of the Palestinian administration uh, is the uh, Mahmoud Abbas is in a very delicate situation in which he finds himself many times and in particularly in the aftermath of the recent wave of terrorism that's in Israel. Every time Abbas is forced to condemn these attacks by terrorists, he's then accused by many Palestinians as being a traitor and the puppet in the hands of Israel and the United States. Now, Abbas is 86 years old. No one knows how long he's going to last. And every time he finds that he has to condemn an attack, and so a terrorist attack to make the world happy, he's accused of by the Palestinians of being traitor. So he's always worried that he has to avoid a backlash from Palestinians. So whenever he mentions that something bad happens, he always includes the killing of Palestinian civilians by Israeli soldiers. And there are now, there are Jews who visit the Temple Mount, and the Palestinian Authority is trying to establish a direct link between the recent wave of terrorism in Israel and the ongoing tensions in Jerusalem particularly regarding visits by Jews to the Temple Mount, which is called the Al-Aqsa Mosque, compound by the Arabs. And what they're trying to do, what the Palestinians are trying to do, their main goal is to pressure Israel to stop Jewish tours with the Temple Mount and end security measures, which are being taken out. We are now in the month of Ramadan, the uh, the Hebrew month of Nisan, the, the um, Jewish calendar goes according to the moon. It's a lunar calendar, and so does the Muslim calendar. Right now, we're in the Hebrew month of Nisan, which is the uh, Muslim month of Ramadan, and it's 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 a it's a, um, it's a holiday. The entire month 
uh, I know a number of uh, Arabs who uh, uh, observe the rules of Ramadan, which includes, by the way, not eating from sunup to sundown. We have a fellow who works for our family uh, who uh, doesn't eat all day long. I, he told, told us he gets used to it. But uh, imagine, in a, in the, as the weather getting hotter, working a normal day and not eating, especially not drinking. So those, the religious Muslims do that, more credit to them. So, so the, uh, as I was starting to say, the um, Mahmoud Abbas uh, made a combination, a condemnation of the terrorist attacks. And what, what was the goal of his condemnation? to placate some officials in the Israeli government and also the U.S. administration. And also he sought to mollify the Palestinian public and especially his rivals. His rivals include Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And so whenever he mentions, says something against terrorist attacks, he always says something against Jewish visit to the Temple Mount, which is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So so what happened was the Palestinian street and the terrorist groups rejected Abbas's condemnation of the last two attacks in Israel, and several Palestinians took to social media to criticize Abbas for condemning the uh, terrorist attacks. The, uh, and also, and this is not uncommon, Palestinians in several parts of the West Bank and Gaza also took to the streets to celebrate the Tel Aviv attack. There was an attack in Tel Aviv last week. A number of people were killed. So the, the Arabs, the Palestinians in Gaza celebrate the attack. They give out candy. They, uh, and they launch fireworks. So last week, uh, dozens of Palestinians gathered outside the home of one of the terrorists uh, from the Janine Reg- Re- Re- refugee camp, chanting slogans in support of the attack. Uh, so uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult situation where the Palestinians celebrate terrorism. And, of course, the head of the Palestinian Authority is caught between a rock and a hard place because he's in favor of the terrorism, but he's afraid what the Americans and the Israeli government officials will say. So uh, um, it's a rough situation, and it's one that we've been forced to live with since uh, in the early 1990s when the Palestinian Authority was given legitimacy by the State of Israel and the Oslo Accords. So here you have the head of the Palestinian Authority on one hand praising terrorists because that's what he has to do for his Palestinian audience, at the same time talking out the other side of his mouth, condemning terrorism because of what the Israelis and the Americans will say. So that's the situation he's caught in. And in a sense, we're caught in the same situation with him. We brought the Palestinian Authority here under our very noses, and now we're being forced to live with it. 
the difficult situation. Since I spoke about uh, Arab terrorism, Palestinian terrorism, I bring up another point which I think the uh, listeners may find of interest. In a recorded video statement uh, last week after there was a terrible terrorist attack in Tel Aviv, uh, the Prime Minister called on licensed gun owners to arm themselves in public in the wake of these deadly terrorist attacks. He said, and I quote, Citizens of Israel, we are currently experiencing a wave of murderous terrorism. What is expected of you, citizens of Israel? Alertness and responsibility. Open your eyes. Whoever has a license to carry a weapon, this is the time to carry it, unquote. Now, many Israelis, like myself, serve in the military, and I think a higher percentage of citizens here in Israel than in most countries have a gun license. I myself have one, and they're taught a responsible way to handle a gun. The uh, You have to get a... a uh, you don't have a right to bear arms unless you have a license here in Israel. In order to get a license, you have to meet a, a list of very stringent requirements. The Firearm Licensing Department here in Israel, as part of the Ministry of Public Security, oversees the distribution of firearm license, and uh, the uh, it operates in compliance with a law back all oh, going back to 1949. And interesting enough, I think the uh, listeners may find this of interest because I'm just now in the and uh, renewing my license. And it turns out that the list of eligibility criteria to carry a weapon includes the need to be a citizen or a permanent resident above the age of 18. You have to have a basic knowledge of Hebrew. In order to be issued a gun permit, you have to obtain a health declaration signed by a doctor. You have to undergo gun training. You have to pass an exam. And you have to meet practical shooting requirements. And these are very stringent measures, by the way. And the overall responsibility of Israeli citizens explains why there have been relatively few incidents in which citizens open fire unnecessarily compared to other countries. The, um, the truth of the matter is a firearms license in Israel is more div difficult to uh, obtain in many countries like the United States. The uh, It's interesting because, you know, if you come and visit Israel, you notice... The strange, a strange fact that the number of soldiers and security personnel carry weapons on the streets and on the buses is very common in, in Israel to see people carrying rifles. However, the procedure for issuing a private weapons permit for an Israeli who is not part of the defense establishment but the police is really restrictive. We don't have a Second Amendment granting the right to bear arms like the Americans do. A firearms license is a privilege here, not a right. Moreover, the government's policy in recent years has been to reduce the number of private firearms held by Israeli citizens. So uh, it's very interesting. We don't have a right to bear arms, but it's quite common here in Israel to see people with guns stuck in their belt or soldiers <laughs> traveling around with rifles. The uh, So uh, Israel is, is an interesting country, and uh, 
if you see somebody on the on the, on the bus carrying a, a gun, you, you don't necessarily have to be afraid he's going to attack you or the driver. One of the very strange things about Israel is the way you see guns all over the place, and yet you don't feel insecure. You know, we remain on high alert for terrorists, and there's never a dull moment in Israel. I'll be back after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Atem akshivim le Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. My listeners know that I like to uh, do something called under the radar. These are, these are items that don't get much news, but they paint a picture of what's happening in the Jewish world. The items are generally not related to each other, and they are the kind of items that you find, find on the inside or the back pages of magazines and newspapers that are talking about the Jewish world. And I like to bring them up. They add color to my program. There are a lot of serious things happening in the Jewish world, and it's very difficult to really analyze them in a program that comes only once a week. But when you choose these under-the-radar items, you sort of get a more colored to the picture of what's happening in Jewish life. The items are generally not related. So the first one I start, want to start off with is, is a place called the Weitzman National Museum of American Jewish History in Philadelphia. It's, it's uh, on the corner, I think, of 4th and Market Street or 4th and Chestnut, and it's an area that I used to go by twice a week on a trolley car going to my grandparents' house for Shabbat. At any rate, something very interesting is being added to this museum, the kind of thing you're sort of surprised to hear about. The Congregation Beth Israel uh, in Texas is donating to the museum the chair 
that the rabbi, the rabbi's name was Charlie Sinton Walker, he threw at the man who held the synagogue members hostages for 11 hours back in January that gave them a split second chance to escape. That chair that he threw at the, uh, at the terrorist, along with a teacup that the rabbi used to serve this fellow before he took them hostage, will go on display at the Jewish History Museum. And the, the Board of Trustees of the synagogue voted to donate the items to preserve history and highlight the importance of combating anti-Semitism and hate. What happened was, back in January, a British citizen, his name was Malik Faisal Akram, he traveled to Colleyville, Texas from New York with the intention of, of trying to secure the release of another uh, terrorist from a federal prison in Fort Worth. He was a Pakistani neuroscientist, and he was ar arrested after 9-11. Now, this hostage crisis uh, unfolded at the synagogue, synagogue back in January when Akram knocked on the synagogue's door and Rabbi led him inside thinking that he needed shelter. And this terrorist took the rabbi and three people hostage as the Sabbath service was live-streamed to the horror of members watching at home. The standoff lasted for 11 hours, and it involved dozens of law enforcement officers, including the FBI. Luckily, none of the hostages were injured. So in the final analysis, this incident continues to add to the rise of anti-Semitism across the United States. And interestingly enough, the uh, Beth Israel that voted to give the chair and the cup uh, to the museums made a statement that the Weiss Museum is the only museum in the nation dedicated exclusively to exploring, interpreting the American Jewish experience for people of all faiths to be able to see and learn ways to combat anti-Semitism. So it, it turns out this museum will feature an exhibit showing the chair and the key cup from Congregation Beth Israel. Um, the, doing, the rabbi also made some interviews that will be you can hear at the museum, and um, he the rabbi said he initially didn't see Akram as a threat, and he offered him a cup of tea, and he, the rabbi was widely praised for keeping uh, keeping Akram calm during the uh, ordeal, which was eleven hours long, so. Uh, how did the rabbi escape? He escaped. He saw an opportunity to escape when Akram poured a soda. So um, Akram eventually was killed when the FBI's hostage rescue team stormed the building. To uh, So that's something under the radar, which I think is of interest. Anti-Semitism 
a terrorist attack in Texas, and now it's part of the Jewish Museum in Philadelphia. The next item has to do with the fact that uh, this program is being broadcast almost Erev Pesach. So I want to say something about matzah. Uh, the, the matzah comes really in a lot of different shapes and si sizes and flavors, totally different and unknown to the children of Israel 3,000 years ago when they left Egypt. Uh, the, uh, now there's a, a, a matzah bakery here in Israel called Avi Matzah Bakery, and it's been producing matzah for 138 years, and uh, under the same family, the family by the name of Wolf, and they decided this year, and this is what makes it interesting, decided to bake what they believe to the biggest matzah in Israel, and not only are they going to bake it, they're going to give it to the uh, president of Israel. This matzah has more than 119,000 preparations. It's six meters long, 106 centimeters wide, four millimeters thick, and it weighs around six kilograms. It was produced from seven kilograms of flour and three liters of water. It's interesting, very little water. It's a kosher matzah. <coughs> it took three hours to bake. A regular matzah only takes a few minutes, generally under 18 minutes. And uh, this mega matzah, which is what it's called, was baked by 20 bakery employees and it actually requires certain changes in the production line to, to, uh, to meet this challenge. The, um, anyhow, they gave it to the president of Israel, and uh, the president, of course, was astonished by the large matzah, and he made a statement. He said, we're very happy to see the longest matzah in Israel, and maybe in the world. And because the Wolf family is celebrating 138 years of matcha making, and the president ended by saying he wished the people of Israel a wonderful Seder night, matzah eating, and a kosher and happy Pesach. Uh, the, uh, by the way, it's very interesting, uh, which is something I always say, you know, people say you should have a kosher and happy Passover. That's a standard saying. And a friend of mine used to say, no, you shouldn't say a kosher and happy Passover, you should say a happy and kosher Passover. Why? Passover. Why? Because people worry so much that their Passover will be kosher. Even people who are not particularly religious, they clean all the leavening, all the hummus out of their house, and they're always worried. You know, people are cleaning for hours. So if you're so worried about having a kosher Passover, you go into this, uh, doing all this work, there's always the possibility that you'll be so worried that you've done the right thing and kept the house kosher that you won't be happy. You keep thinking, maybe I didn't do enough. So therefore, my friend says, we know you'll have a kosher Passover, but it's more important to have a happy one. 
because the whole idea of Passover, other than the basic reason for celebrating the exodus of Egypt, which we've done for more than 3,000 years, where you want to be a happy occasion. As a matter of fact, anyone who studied the Haggadah, which is if we use the first night of Pesach, knows that much of it, is, if not most of it, is designed so children should ask questions. And the kids get rewards for asking questions. And there's a, uh, a, um, a, a tradition of uh, there's something, a piece of uh, matzah, which is taken off uh, from the beginning, separated at the beginning of the Seder, and it's used for what's called Akikomen, which is a representative of the uh, Passover sacrifice, which has to be eaten at the meal. And it's been customer, customary for thousands of years for kids to hide to Afi Coleman. And uh, when their parents can't find it, it's part of the ceremony, they give the kids awards. So having said that, I wish the listeners a happy and kosher Passover. Until next time. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar, I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.